Hello and welcome to another episode of Death Leopard, the officially unofficial Death Leopard podcast. Now the subject matter of today's show is guitars. We'll take a close look at the four guitarists who have tread the boards for Death Leopard over the years and we'll find out what each of them brought to the party. And we are of course talking here about Pete Willis, Steve Clark, Phil Collin and Vivian Campbell. And to do this, I have a subject matter expert joining me, guitarist extraordinaire, Ben Moore. Now, you may well know Ben from his superb YouTube channel, BWM5150, which features close to 40,000 subscribers. And at the time of recording this, 419, yes, 419 videos. Now, many of those videos feature Ben playing note-for-note perfect covers of Def Leppard songs, as well as other well-known rock acts. Ben, thank you for coming on to Def Leppard today. Neil, wow. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's Honestly, it's an honor to, to be on the podcast with you. Um, it's great to see, it, to see it grow, man, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you. All right, then. Okay, so we don't really need to prove your credentials, but just in case anyone hasn't seen your YouTube channel and uh, sort of thinking, who is who is this person? Where How is he qualified to talk about Def Leppard guitarists in this episode? Well, can you just tell us to begin with, when did you start playing the guitar? How did you learn? Um, I started playing back in it was about 2004, I believe. I'm going to show my age here. 13th birthday, I got a guitar. And straight away, I got the guitar and I got the Vault tab book. And it was just Def Leppard from then on. That's what I wanted to play. And they, they certainly they certainly had the riffs to kind of get you motivated and just enjoy it. What was the first thing that you learned from that Vault tab book? I think it was When Love and It Collide. I'm sure that's the first one. And it's quite an easy, op- well, it's, it's a relatively simple opening. It doesn't involve too much kind of flashy shred stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I went for that for straight away. I like your methodical approach. You opened the book and you just started at song one. I like that. That's that's <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. focused. Okay. <laughs> so in terms of the YouTube channel, and and again, I'm going to say this a few times throughout. Most of you would have actually seen it, but if you haven't, please go and visit it, and I will put a link in the show notes so you can get there nice and quickly. When and why did you start that YouTube channel? Um. So I think it was about. 2011 I started doing little videos I got to the point where you know I was learning songs but I was thinking you know I'm not am I learning them as as best as I could be you know I want to maybe record them and see how they look see how they sound and also just see see if they pass the grade of of YouTube viewers and comments Mm -hmm. Um, so I started just doing like little solo videos and then eventually got into the kind of big songs of course it was just Def Leppard nothing else um, and then it was a fellow Def Leppard diehard um, Andy who who I remember he, he shared my videos to to a couple of the, the forums and sites and eventually just started gaining um, subscribers who were as obsessed with Def Leppard as I was essentially. Cool so how many Def Leppard songs have you actually covered on your channel now then? Yeah uh, so with the main discography I think we're up to now 136. Um, so that includes like the main albums, minus Yeah, the covers album. And I haven't done the acoustic ones of like Two Steps Behind, Mission or Heartbeat or From the Inside. So minus them, it's all the main discography. And then a few different live versions. So there's maybe more than 136, actually. But uh, I've certainly covered every main song. And then I'm getting my way through Diamond Star Halos, of course, which is fun. I was going to ask you about the live versions and why you do them, because I was watching your, you got a few from the In The Round In Your Face video, and I think the, the a lot of the Phil Collins stuff, and I was watching the Stage Fright one earlier. Are they markedly different to the album versions? A little bit, yeah. I mean, for me, I used to, I used to watch the In The Round In Your Face concert all the time. For me, that was how I wanted to sound, how I wanted to play, I think. For, for some songs, it's certainly how I imagine them. You know, when I think of Too Late for Love, it's the in-the-round version. Same with Die Hard. Is Die Hard, Die Hard. Um, there, there's, there's a few differences. Also, the tuning for some of the songs is, is easier. It's like in standard. 
a couple of, like the old songs like in pyromania photographs a big one it's slightly below standard and with the type of guitar i have i can't really put it down in that tuning without mucking about too much with the uh the mechanics of it so it was always more so uh right that's in standard tuning i can play along with that and it was a bit more fun to do so as well I wasn't going to get into like the specifics really early, but I just can't help myself. For anyone who doesn't play the guitar, the standard tuning is E A D G B E. The ones that are tuned differently are they are they like crazy off the wall tunings, or are they just very slightly like you know like a drop D or something like that? It's a bit funny with regards to Death Leopard, and I think for some stuff on Pyromania, um. Some of it can be a little bit below and a little bit above. It's not like one step down or half a step down where you tune it to an actual, a different note, like E flat, like they do now. Um, you know, sometimes in, in, in that era, you know, they, they record the tracks and, and they might think, oh, we want it to be a bit quicker. So they just speed it up a little bit. And that would, that would make the tuning go up a pitch or if they wanted to slow it down. And, you know, with, with Pyromania, there's stories of them with the amount of overdubs they're doing, you know, they're saying the tapes were going like transparent. You could see yeah. through. So I imagine there's something to do with that, with like photograph being a little bit below. Cause it's not exactly, it's like a quarter step down, which is really hard to tune to. As we go through the years, slang's a little bit up and down. Euphoria is a little bit up and down but because of that. I think when they got into the proper digital, um, maybe in the X era, some of that standard. And then they started to drop down for the recordings. The live era in the 90s, they started detuning. Like, and the Adrenalized Tour, they detuned for Hysteria, Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad and Love Bites. And then I think it was from Slang onwards, everything started to be down a half step. And then today, although Diamond Star Halos again puts a wee twist on this, some of that's back in standard, which is great. Uh, okay. But before so, like um, songs from Sparkle Orange and the 2015 self-titled was was uh, E flat half a step down from standard. So all of that complexity there leads me to my next question: Is what's the most difficult Def Leppard song you've covered, and why? Oof! Wow. You know, it'd probably be in in the modern era for sure. Um, honestly, I think maybe Kiss the Day. The okay. the, the, the ending on that is just. There's so much going on, and to, to, to try and figure it out to, took a while. Um, certainly those songs that I'm not as familiar with, with were definitely a bit harder. But, yeah, I, I'd probably say Kiss the Day. Actually, maybe Kings, Kings of Oblivion's got a pretty hard solo. Some of the slang stuff's pretty tricky as well, like Gift of Flesh. And, uh, you know, they're actually a lot more, a lot more tricky in, in the Viviera for sure. What about the solo to Gods of War? And the reason I asked that is I don't know if you saw in 2019 when Def Leppard were releasing their vlogs on YouTube and it was a running joke when they were doing the festivals and it was when they were doing Hysteria all the way through where Viv was going on video after video how we kept messing up the solo to Gods of War. Is that something you can empathize with? It's funny because it's it's... On the record, it's like that two guitar part. And it's really cool because it's not just like a straight two guitars harmonizing because they kind of interweave with each other. But I, I, I'm not sure what he was meaning by that. It was just that he was, I don't know, having mind blanks or something. It, it could be pretty simple, but he definitely plays it a bit different to how Steve would. But then Steve played it a bit different to how it was on the album as well. He's maybe just losing himself in the moment a bit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can empathize a little bit. You just mentioned Steve and we just mentioned Viv and we are going to actually talk individually about the four guitarists, Pete, Steve, Phil and Viv. And we'll do that individually. But first, let's take a wider look at the influence of Def Leppard as a guitar bass band. What do you think that the guitarists of Def Leppard have brought to the genre? For me, it's odd for starting out with Def Leppard where... You know, I, I learned their stuff first. And it seems as though everyone else just seems a bit basic in terms of their guitar work and songwriting. Def Leppard just seemed to have a certain edge. And it was like, you know, Phil goes on about saying, oh, they want to be like, you know, ACDC plus, have the kind of you know, straightforward rock song, bit of pop melody. But the guitar work is just so... 
harmonically interesting. I don't want to keep, I don't want to use any music terms. I'll try not to use any, anything like that. But it's just, there's a lot more to it. There's just, it's interesting. Like when I started playing guitar, you know, I couldn't play songs all the way through, but I got so much joy just learning, oh, I can play the pre-chorus in that song. It's like other bands' pre-choruses might just be nothing. There's nothing special about them. I definitely have a pre-chorus, you know, might have three guitars going on, all mm. kind of playing off each other. It, it just seemed to be that they, they had a certain sense of orchestration. And, you know, Sav says it in the classic albums documentary, you can like Def Leppard purely for the guitars. You can like Asteria purely mm. for the guitars. It's that interesting. And I don't, I don't have that sense of enjoyment with any other band. Quick interruption from our conversation here. We are shortly going to get to the parts of the episode where Ben very kindly plays little bits of guitar for us just to illustrate some of the things that he is explaining. Now, unfortunately, on some occasions due to the recording, the guitar cuts out a little bit. So if it sounds a little bit free at any point, it's not Ben's fingers falling off. It's not Ben being terrible at playing the guitar. It's quite the opposite. It's just that Zoom was unable to capture for some reason all of the guitar playing so apologies if that has any bearing on your enjoyment of the episode if it does please write a strongly worded letter to zoom Oh, Def Leppard friends, if you'd like to support Def Leppard, then you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Def Leppard. You can buy us a one-off coffee, or if you want, you can join our Gods of More membership, where you'll get even more bang for your buck and a little bit of extra Def Leppard stuff every month. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Def Leppard. This might be a really difficult question to answer. What does harmonically interesting mean? Right. It might be a bit difficult to answer. I'll try my best, but um, I'll, maybe, I'll maybe demo an example. So a lot of guitar stuff is just using power chords, which are great. I mean, they sound nice and powerful. You know, I was to think of just a random band who use power chords, maybe a band that's on tour with Death Level at the moment. They'd be playing something like, um, you know, which is which is fine. It's great. And um, Def Leppard, they would play power chords for the kind of power asset aspect of it, but they would add um, the kind of color that makes these chords sound happy and sad, the major minor, okay. and even chords in between. You know, thinking of something like. I always like using coming under fire because you've got chords like you know we're using chords in there that sound like this which don't sound really good but they provide a sort of tension that gets released by going to our next chord there so there's a lot of color and and use of notes that just make it a bit more thematic really so would you say that they're using different chords and playing things differently? Or is it just the case that maybe they're using more overdubs, so it's just more actual guitars doing different things that complement each other at the same time? It's actually probably a bit of both. Um, okay. And on the song, yeah, they're, they're playing what I noticed as well, actually. Like Billy's Got a Gun's got a lot of these um, interesting chords in it. And it's cool to see how the writing developed because not only were they playing different chords there, when they played that live in the kind of hysteria era, you know, like the, the version that's on the deluxe edition, mm. um, Steve and Phil start playing these chords higher up on the neck to make them sound a bit easier to the ear. Right. And it's like, not only are they playing different chords than regular guitar bands, they've grown to a point where they're even playing their own songs a bit differently just to make it fit and to use the full spectrum of the guitar. You know, a lot of guys stay down and you're just playing power chords for the kind of root note for the rhythm. You know, Def Leppard, Stephen Phil especially are, are going all over the place just to add different sonic textures to the songs and, and make it 
I hate to use it again, but harmonically interesting. So do you think that Def Leppard have actually innovated in any way or are essentially they just doing what a lot of twin guitar bands have always done? So, for example, a big influence on them in the early days and the reason they wanted two guitarists was they were really into Thin Lizzy. So are they doing anything really any different to what Thin Lizzy used to do or is it pretty much just more or less the, the same thing? They, they kind of found a, a little gap in there, I think, where, yes, they, they, they start with that, that Thin Lizzy idea. They had the twin guitar sound, especially for lead stuff. There's a lot of that in the kind of Pete and Steve era. Um, but then they sort of fell in between where maybe traditionally bands like, like a Journey, Ario Speedwagon, or Queen, where they would use piano mm. and it fitted in there. So it was the idea of we're using guitars for everything. We're going to try and emulate the different textures you get, let's say, with a piano or a synth or something. That's that's what I feel they did. And to do that, you know, you can't play a lot of the the simple rock stuff, or you can't use the big marshals like you know Phil would mention on classic albums. They had to kind of tone it back in order to fit these different ideas in. All right, cool. So you, you mentioned a few other bands like Journey and REO Speedwagon. Then, how, from a guitar point of view, do Def Leppard compare to their peers? It's a really good question. They have everything, I think. You know, when I mentioned before about learning Def Leppard songs, you know, they weren't afraid to keep it simple in some aspects. And sometimes that's all you need. And sometimes that hits harder. The idea of, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be playing flashy stuff. They do the flashy stuff as well, but it has its own place. Sometimes with a guitar band, when it's the only guitarist, it's when it's their moment to shine, they'll think, all oh, right, well, I'm not going to get any other moment, so I'm just going to go for it and wail. Whereas Def Leppard were thinking, well, let's, let's have a guitar do this here to, just to help the melody out, or let's have a guitar do a counter melody here or something like that. They seem to just do a bit of everything. And, you know, it, it was very easy to try and to try and learn the songs when you're starting out because there's simple stuff. And then as you progress, it's like, oh God, that's really hard. It's like they, they, they have it all. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball now because we're about to talk about the four guitarists, Pete, yeah. Steve, Phil, and Viv. <laughs> but something that you just said to me then about simplicity and the simplicity of some parts. And one thing I've really noticed watching your videos in particular and watching songs like say for example uh, unbreakable of diamond star halos yeah. it's like right even i can play that and i yeah. think it's joe wrote the guitar part of that so before we got onto the four main guitarists just as a little aside what do you think of joe as a guitarist and the guitar part he comes up with honestly joe joe's a really great songwriter i think i remember hearing the the demo for she's too tough where he attempts a guitar solo on that i don't know if you ever heard that it's like the yeah, honky tonk kind of stuff or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, he he, he does his job, you know, yeah. um, and he, he can knock out a song, and that's that's great. Um, he he obviously then outsources the guitar parts to people who are a bit a bit better for that. But yeah, he, man, he's, he can do a job for sure. Oh, that's cool. All right, so let's take now a chronological tour through the Def Leppard guitarists based on when they joined the band. So. That leads us to obviously begin with founding or one of the founding members, Pete Willis. Now, Ben, I'm actually going to ask you the same three questions for each of the guitarists in Daft Leppard here. So we get a nice comparison uh, between them. I'll try and find different ways of answering the same questions so it doesn't sound like I'm a robot, but I, I can't guarantee that. So starting with Pete, how would you describe Pete's style and what did he bring to Daft Leppard? Pete's funny, um, but he's it, it's it's kind of maybe hard to categorize him because he he had he had a lot going on, but certainly he had a bit of flash, a bit of technique in there. He seemed to be very much a bluesy player, but he also had okay. these kind of wacky parts going on where he was just sounding a bit yeah out there. Where you know it's like oh god, why why did he choose to do that? There's maybe no rhyme or reason. There maybe is for him. It was like oh god, I can't understand that. But certainly, Pete, he really great technique. And one thing I'm always constantly reminding myself, and it's a shame that we can only talk about him um, for really the first two albums, but you think about how young young he was. Yeah. 
some of the some of the stuff he's playing is is incredible. It's 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 really really technical and and very energetic. The general claim is that well, if this is said about both Pete and Steve, but I hear it a lot with Pete is that they lost a lot of their heaviness when Pete left the band. Is that evidenced in any way in terms of the the guitar, the type of guitar parts he came up with that maybe then went missing? Or do you think that's just more due to the way the band were looking to evolve and the different types of songs that they were writing? Again, it's maybe a, a bit of both. I know Joe's talked about you know when they brought in Phil, it was great because he was maybe wanting to write songs that they were wanting to do. Um, you know, I was I was looking over the kind of songwriting credits and I do find it a bit tricky to distinguish some Steve and um, Pete stuff. Mm. Certainly one of the tracks where he gets his only, I think he's the only guitar writes, guitarist with the songwriting credit was, um, uh, is it, it could be you. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's a really cool riff. Is it, is it the hard, the heaviest in the world? Uh, not necessarily. Um, but did they lose something with that? Possibly. It, really tough because Steve was writing like heavy metal stuff around that time as well. Mm. You know, maybe, and I haven't listened to a lot of the Roadhouse stuff, Pete, Pete Willis's band afterwards, but that seems to be a bit more on the melodic rock side. So it's, it's maybe hard to say for definite. But I know that's, that's maybe a, a talking point for those who who like Def Leppard for that new album, New Wave of British Heavy Metal. And they would see, well, this is when they stopped being that was when Pete left. So therefore, that must have been what made them like that. But I don't think you can say for definite. Yeah, and he's got a lot of writing credits on Pyromania. So Pyromania is obviously the first album where, you know, these stars have a more of a pop sentiment and maybe move away from that, like, hard rock I mean, they were never heavy metal, but let's just call it hard rock, heavy metal sound. And, you know, he's on he's on Pyromania yeah. in terms of, you know, his actual playing, and he's on there in terms of his songwriting as well. And what would you say is yeah. his strength? His strength, I got to say, um, it would be, I don't want to use the word flash or, or, or the kind of technique side, but when I think of Pete, I do think of, it did seem to be like, like a... You know, I mean, they're all very energetic back then. But I associate, especially with like the Pete solos, it was like, God, he's he's just blistering here. He's just mm. really, he's like almost like you know, you can't can't keep him down. He's on fire. He's just like, oh, I need to get this out. I'm gonna gonna play this here, and it's just overblown. Um, just really energetic and 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 heavy on the kind of bluesy, the kind of bluesy, but um, not. Not in the classic sense of a blues guitarist like Eric Clapton, but like, oh, I'm, I'm playing blues, but I'm also going to be like really thrash, thrash heavy metal with it, you know. What's Pete's Def Leppard career highlights or highlights for you from a guitar perspective? I can narrow it down to two. I would say the, the Rock Brigade solo and the High and Dry solo. Um, the Rock Brigade solo, there's a little, little lick in there. Um, I'll see if I can play it, but this, man, this took me ages to try and build the muscle memory for. And this is the solo that taught me about muscle memory. But it's the little little lick that kind of goes like this. Very tricky, very fiddly riffs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, the thing about how old he was when he did that, it was just, it's unbelievable. And then on High and Dry, he uses the same blues like on a lot of solos. And um, but the high and drive solos, I think, where he's he's kind of refined himself where it's not as overblown that maybe as he was on, on the first album. It's a really great Pete Willis solo where it's kind of it's got his sections, and he starts out high, he goes low, and he kind of finishes at the end. Um, but he's got a cool, a cool blues lick, uh, which goes something like this. It's like um <laughs> Something like that, which is really fiddly, and he—that's you hear that in a lot of his solos, and that's how I try and pinpoint thing. Oh, that's a Pete solo. I hear that lick. So I don't think Steve would play that. Actually, that's where um, there's really, really great Steve Clark fan, Hurricane Joe. He, he passed away in the last year. Um, 
he used to he always left so many kind comments on my videos and he used to play a lot of the great Steve stuff and on the solo for you got me running that's where we disagree because I'm like I think that's Pete because it sounds like at the high and dry solo and it's got that lick in it and Joe thought that was Steve because um there's a couple other licks in there and we can never agree on that um but yeah he, he's a really good guy that's he, Check out his channel, Hurricane Joe. Um, sadly, no longer with us, but yeah, really, really good man. Uh, and it's cool that you agreed to disagree. That's that's a nice approach to things sometimes, isn't it? Okay, so we're talking to Steve. Then we'll move we'll move on to Steve. And I'm sure, like a lot of people listening, they're looking particularly forward to a little bit of Steve insight. How would you describe Steve's style, and what did he bring to Def Leppard? I think Steve is just the ultimate representation of what Def Leppard was and what it became from even in the early stages, he was shown a lot of great theory about different scales, about orchestration, about different melodic guitar parts, putting them together and just seemed to be a, a complete machine for coming up with riffs and not only riffs where so I've come up with a riff, right? You guys deal with it. The idea of orchestrating and arranging. So it's like, oh man, that's a great riff in there. Oh, we moved into this section. It's like, God, it's, it's adding on to that riff and it's making the song kind of open up and sound, sound brand new and then moving on to the chorus. Just really, I'd say Steve's probably the most musician-like of the guitar players. Mm. They also talk about him having that classical training. And there's a few moments where you can hear that yeah, that shine through, but that's definitely what I'd say. He's, he's the just very like musician finesse class. So obviously, Steve plays on the first four albums on Food and Night High and Dry, Pyromania, and Hysteria. However, each of those albums sounds radically different to the one before. Is that reflected in Steve's guitar playing in any way? Did his guitar playing change a lot over those four albums? Yeah, it, it became it became more refined. And I like to think that he got to a point where he he didn't have to play as many notes because every note he played, he made them count. Mm. I I think about um like the, the the kind of part in Gods of War after the intro comes in where, you know, it goes, you know, very, very simple. But you think about how big that sounds and how thematic that is. And he's, he's, using, he's using a kind of central theme revolving around E, like the basic key of E, you know, using it in different contexts. And it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing to think, you know, someone might, might look at that and think, oh, it's a bit too, bit too simplistic. Simplistic, sorry. What can we do with that? But no, it, it works for what it is. Mm. And even the the kind of solo section in, in "Pour Some Sugar on Me" are just I read not that long ago that that came from Steve. I think that's that's great. I mean, that's a solo on a really big song in like 1987, and it's not got a big shreddy guitar solo in it. The main solo section is just two guitars playing something incredibly simple, but it works. So I like to think he refined himself into that into that idea. And just to pick up on something that you said there, where you know, you say for example that that lick in Gods of War, and you know, he's chosen that, and why he's chosen that. Obviously, we can't read Steve's mind, and I don't think this is in print anywhere. But do you think he would have been choosing to play parts like that simply because he thinks that sounds good? Or do you think he was applying some sort of principle from a musical education in which he knows that certain things work together in a certain way and create a, a certain effect? It's a really, really good question. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea to think about because you, you certainly had that theory, and I think it shows. Um, but did he get to a point where it just becomes second nature where he thinks, well, that sounds good. You know, I don't mm. need to know why. I, I maybe hear where this is going to go. It should go to this section. This is what the guitar should play. I, I certainly think that it might have been like that, especially with the idea of like the hysteria course when you have all the different guitars going on. I did a pretty, uh, pretty interesting analysis video on that course talking about how every single note works with each other. Um, and you think, oh, like 
you cannot surely you cannot compose from that idea it's like all right what am i playing here right what's what's the other guitar doing all oh, this this and this maybe you just got to the point where yeah of course it's going to work it sounds good to me and i i you know i'm confident in my ability that 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 should work it creates a sort of interesting juxtaposition because obviously you know he is classically educated he comes up with these amazing parts but at the same time you hear joe in many interviews in the past talk about Steve being quite a sloppy player. Is that something that you hear? I, I've i had an odd relationship with the comments like that. I think I know what he means by that, that he's maybe more of a emotional player where he's, you know, he's not, you know, maybe live, he's not going to play things 100% as they are. It's more of a, like a feeling thing, whereas Phil is maybe a bit of the opposite. Steve solos, like on the first album, they're really hard to play. They're really technical. Mm. And even some of the stuff on, on high and dry is like that as well. I never, I never, I don't think of him as a sloppy player, but I can understand what, what maybe Joe was trying to say, but certainly for, for people who, who learn Steve's parts, um, you know, it's not as though, it's not as though like, anyone can play them. It's not as though Joey Ramon can play them or whatever. Yeah. I don't mean to diss the Ramones. They, they have their place in, in music. Um, but no, I, I think Steve was very technically proficient. I often wonder whether maybe the word sloppy is the, the wrong word, but I, 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 I think often, and I might be wrong here, that Joe's heart in the right place where he says that. And what maybe he might be trying to do is strengthen that link between Steve Clark's favorite guitarist being Jimmy Page, you know, like from, you know, like from like, you know, the way he wore his guitar, the type of guitar, you know, the scarf around the neck. And Jimmy Page, is notoriously thought of as a sloppy player um, and more of a, like, don't get wrong, you still play better than like 99.9% of the world. You know, it's, it's sloppy at a very high level. So I do often think, is he saying that sloppy thing to sort of give Steve the credit to try try put him in the same sort of category or ballpark as someone like his hero, Jimmy Page? Yeah, I, I could totally see that. And especially when you think about that time in the 80s where, you know, a lot of the guitarists who were coming out were, getting influenced by Eddie Van Halen. And it was the thing to do was to be the most shreddiest technical guy. And it's like, Steve didn't have to be, to be that. So this is a difficult question just because there must be so many, but what is, what would you say Steve's Def Leppard career highlights or highlights are? Yeah, really. That's really difficult to say. I mean, I can point it down to maybe one from each album, but Wasted, unbelievable song. And you think for the simplicity of the actual song, you know, amazing. Then you get to the solo, and this is where some of his classical stuff came in. And I think in the early days, he was using more of these kind of classical ideas. You know, the solo, we're in the key of like E minor, by the way. But in the solo, he's using scales which aren't necessarily just in E minor. There's a bit section here which goes something like this. Um, that's actually an E major sounding scale there. This opening bit. You know, oh, when the saints go marching in. <laughs> okay, somehow he's made that work. He superimposed that over. It's like, bloody hell. Sorry for swearing. Um, and then towards the, uh, the end, he's using like this, um, there's some technical term for it. It's a different type of minor scale, but it's like you, you can play stuff and it sounds like... You know, a kind of Eastern sounding like a, I think it's a harmonic minor or melodic minor. I don't know. Mm. But instead of your usual scale, which would be, you know, um, he's going. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like that. I'm, I'm thinking about a deleted scene from Spinal Tap where Nigel Tufnell was talking about Indonesian music there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it just it uses different. Uh, kind of E minor sounding scales and even an E major sound over that and for the age he was at the time that's that's incredible so Waste is definitely a highlight for that bringing on the heartbreak unbelievable with the jangle with the solo again it's it's here's a kind of power ballad sounding song and you think I'm getting to the soul I'm gonna you know absolutely wail here and he doesn't he he, he chooses his notes very wisely and like I said, he's maybe becoming a bit more refined. But I love the Lady Strange solo as well. There's a lot yeah. of techniques in that. Um, 
as we move forward. Die Hard the Hunter is probably, I think, as a piece of music that makes him stand out as, you know, that's a solo section, but it's actually a piece of music in its own right. Yeah. Different sections together. I, I would say Die Hard the Hunter. Honestly, a lot of his solos, I would say, especially from that year, Pyro onwards, they're their own things. They're, they're just unique thematic melodies. But even before that, Mirror Mirror solo. Mm. Kind of weird bit, which goes like, um, let's get distortion on. You know, kind of weird chromaticism there. I wasn't quite playing it quite right. And then he goes into a kind of harmony, chord, like two guitar type thing. Mm. He played it live, he played it with chords. And then even something like Don't Shoot Shotgun, where the solo is just... Yeah, it's two guitars again harmonizing together, but live he'd play it like a like a chord. Um, sorry. You know, that's that's no one else is doing that. Everyone else is shredding. Here's yeah. with like really cool sounding pieces of music. The one thing I've always thought about Steve solos. And this is a very agricultural way of repeating what you've just said, essentially, I think, is that you can sort of sing along to them. You can you can hum them. You can sing them like a vocal melody, and especially Die Hard the Hunter. Like that, mm-hmm. the first part of the solo, which is him, is just, I don't know, if I had to take one section of one Daft Leopard song to take to my grave with me. Um, assuming that I still have consciousness and I can hear. Um, hopefully I couldn't because I'm buried underground. But anyway, existential crisis here now, Ben. I'm going off on one. Um, it would be that bit. It would be that that yeah. bit of Die Hard the Hunt is just um just uh, amazing. Now I don't want to I don't want to be throwing fish to you like your performance seal here, but are you able to play the um just the main riff to wasted for us? Yes, yeah, certainly of course. It goes something like I've got a question for you. I did a an episode on Wasted, mm-hmm. and part of that episode begins with the premise that Steve thought of the music or the riff, at least, of Wasted when he was on the bus traveling to the Spoon Factory in Sheffield. I've never really been on being able to understand how someone could make a guitar part up without having a guitar in front of them. Is that something that you understand? I I can't understand how he came up with that in his head. No. <laughs> Just the idea of going, and then going, oh, the chorus. I don't know how he did that. No, yeah. that's, that blows my mind. <laughs> That's cool. Right, then well, let's move on to St- Steve's second partner. So obviously Pete leaves, and then along comes Phil Collin. I think even for those people who are, aren't guitarists or don't feel like they've got a particular musical ear, you can definitely hear that Phil plays differently and has a different style to either Phil or sorry, to either Pete or Steve. What does he bring to Def Leppard when he joins in? Well, he actually joins in 1982, but from 1983 onwards. In, in a similar way to Pete, he kind of brings that flash and technical side and the sense of, I think it was a necessity for, for where they're going and for the way rock music was going. Phil, I think Phil connects them to the rest of the rock scene at that time. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how that will come across, actually. Um, but... He certainly has that that kind of technique, and again, the energy of it, and and using the the instrument is like a way to blow off steam, and, and the way he's kind of playing his his kind of fast licks. But he's doing it in a way where it it just marries so well with more pop sensibilities, you know. And, and I think he certainly brings he brings more so of a partnership with Steve than I think Pete did. Mm. Which again, might be a bit controversial, but I think there's more of a contrast between the two. Uh, or that might have been due to how the band was developing. Mm. But there certainly seems to be, yeah, more, more, of a, more of a contrast between the two guitar players, certainly in the sense of how their solos were. Like I was saying before, being a hard good Joe couldn't decide, oh, who played this solo on High and Dry? Yeah. I think both Steve and Pete sounded very similar there. 
Whereas you get to you get to Pyromania, and it's like, oh, this is a really energetic track. Oh, of course, it's going to be a blistering soul from Phil. Oh, this is a bit more moody. Of course, it's going to be Steve on that one, creating a bit more of an atmospheric thing. So I think I think Phil brings that that flash again, but he fits it fits a bit better in a, a more pop sensibility. Does Phil working with Steve? Does that introduce more complexity? Earlier on, you said about how they orchestrate their guitars. Does that begin happening more when Phil comes in? Yeah, I, I, I certainly think whether or not that would have happened if Phil didn't come in, and that was just Steve developing his kind of songwriting. But it certainly maybe opens the door a bit easier for the band to do that because Phil's maybe bringing in some songwriting ideas that kind of suit that. You know, the idea that Phil brought like animal to the table or like love and affection um you think oh that they're good kind of foundations to expand on and and do and do more with the guitar you know when when the guitars when the main riff of a song is like 100 miles an hour there's not much you no real space where you can go afterwards you can't really put anything else on top it's going to sound too muddy and messy mm. if you're bringing in more simple kind of guitar um parts or or songs then it, it allows you to put more orchestration on. So I think I think he does help with that, I've got to say. And then in terms of Phil's highlights through his Def Leppard career, and I suppose interestingly as well, obviously he's got solos on Pyromania, he's on Hysteria, but what he's really got, because he's he's one of the main songwriters in the band, is from you know, you know, from nineteen ninety onwards. You've got twenty-two years. Let me do my maths. Thirty-two years of lots of Phil now what would you say his highlights are and are any of them maybe like a little bit later on at any point is there anything maybe like after 92 say for example for me I think the best soul to sum up Phil is is probably photograph Mm. because it's got it's got the kind of flashy stuff but it's not that all the time as maybe some other souls might be um I think Animal is an incredible solo when you think about it, it, how Phil plays. You know, he's very, he's very shreddy and very, very into that. And he's, that's an amazing melodic solo. And it's another one that you can hum along to or sing. Um, so those two, for me, are probably the ones up there. The solos on, on Euphoria, he started to go, it's funny, Phil, he had a lot of, in a similar way to, to Pete, he kind of had a lot of bluesy maybe sentiments in there. You know, he'd be doing, um, he'd be doing like kind of scale runs, which would use the blue note, which would be, you know, you know, adding in little pinch harmonics in there as well as his shreddy stuff. Um, then he moved away from that and, and you can hear maybe more so on souls like She's Too Tough and, and Make Love a, Like a Man where He's doing maybe more country sounding things. He's using this kind of I- idea of the chord. Um, you know, it's got a bit of a country twang for me, that. Mm. Um, and then he moves into a bit more Eastern sounding scales as well when we get to like Paper Sun and even going a bit out there on his solo on, on Goal from Songs from Sparkle Energy. He really mm. progresses into that. And then he's kind of come back around in recent years where he's went bluesy. Yeah. And he's gone back to the kind of bluesy lick. And some of his solos on the new album remind me of like Pyromania stuff, like the way he kind of goes, goes down the fretboard. But he's always been a pretty consistent um, player in terms of I'll do a bit of melody, I'll do a bit of cool <laughs> stuff, and then I'll do a bit of shredding. Um yeah, but for me, photograph sums them up perfectly, I would say. The the story goes, and I think it is true, that when Phil joined the band um, in back in late 82, Steve was a little bit intimidated by, you know, Phil's technical proficiency. Now, obviously, we don't we know that Steve had no reason to be intimidated because he's an amazing guitarist in his own right, but what was it that he would have been intimidated by? Do you think is it was it was it the speed? I think so. I mean, I think anyone would be would maybe feel a, a little bit intimidated when uh, you know, a mid twenties Phil Collins joining your band. You know, <laughs> he's got the looks as well, of course. Um, 
in fact they're all quite photogenic um quite quite jealous of but uh yeah i mean it, i think that phil kind of had that attitude as well where you know it's like i i know what i can do i'm gonna do it you know i yeah i'll play i'll play on your album i'll play a blistering solo in front of Matt Lang as my idea <laughs> you know i think there's maybe an attitude thing there as well where yeah phil phil phil's very confident he's a very confident man for sure you can tell and I think I think that's great, and I think it allows him to express himself with the guitar in that in that way. But maybe there was, I can imagine it being tough, grow like being a guitar player in the eighties and having everyone be a very shreddy and technical. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine a little bit of that being being at play. Have you ever heard the outro solo to Photograph where it's been isolated and? It's the extended, so it goes beyond where the song ends and it, it carries on past that. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, and you start to hear some more kind of shreddy stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, when I first heard that, I, I think I got goosebumps with that. Um, what did you think of that? Like, how did, did you think that sounded like amazing? Do you think it sounded like, oh, that's a bit odd? Or no, I, I think it sounds amazing. I because I love the end of photograph mm-hmm. and, and i'm trying to find a way of saying this without sounding ridiculously wet but i find the end of photograph especially when you see it live and then when the solo comes in and they're still going photograph i find all that quite intense <laughs> is probably the best word right that i can i can i can think to describe it and hearing that outro and that outro solo is part of that so to then hear it isolated it to hear like it go a little bit beyond it. That I mean, that that's um, you know, that's just chocolate cake for me. That that's perfect. You know, that, that's the type of thing I, I want to hear. And by the way, just in case anyone's thinking, oh, what is this isolated solo? If you go and check out episode five, I think it is of Def Leppard, which is about photograph. It's in there, so you can go and have a little listen to it in there. I'll put the links in the show notes below. Right, last but certainly not least, we get on to Vivian Campbell. Viv obviously had the really difficult job of following Steve Clark. How do you think he handled that? I th- I think he's done really well. Um, it's tricky because I I can understand if you're a big fan of Vivian Campbell before he joined Def Leppard, you might be thinking, uh, "What's he doing? Why? Yeah, what?" Where's where's all that Vivian Campbell I'm used to when he was with Dio or when he was in White Snake briefly, um, but I think he's done a, an amazing job and I think of course vocally the band improved tremendously when he joined, and um, he was tasked with some really demanding harmonies when 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 he joined the band and he and he nails them. I think it's 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 a bit tricky for him because obviously the band don't write the same way they used to where that that might suit him where it's like oh let's share riff ideas um so it's i can imagine it's probably not not been the easiest but um hey he's still there after all these years so i'm really pleased with that because i think he comes across as a really good guy oh yeah definitely and how would you describe his style is he very different to pete steve or phil i would say he's probably the most traditional in terms of like a guitarist when you maybe think of some of the classic guitarists out there of course he grew up in you know people like gary moore and stuff and and that that idea of yeah vivian is someone who again would maybe play a bit of slide guitar or you know play more traditional sounding guitar licks has that blues bluesy side of him again like pete but maybe vivian knows how to keep it um less wacky <laughs> than than Pete does. But he certainly certainly has flashy elements and technique. Um, but I think he I think he knows I think he's better at being a field player where he's maybe not working out what to play for his soul. He's like, no, I'm just gonna be like a classical guitar. I'm just gonna go up there and improvise and see what comes out. Uh, so I think he's quite traditional in that aspect. How do his solos differ to Phil's? Because weirdly, I I can normally tell when it's Viv solo as opposed to Phil. So it's quite the opposite to what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier about you know not being sure whether something is Pete or Steve's. 
I think that they sound quite different when it comes to solos. W- what is it that we're hearing that allows us to, to tell the difference, do you think? I'm going to use a subjective word, which won't help at all, but it's, I think Vivian seems to have more emotion in his playing, mm. like a more expressive use of just single notes. Like he does, he does these things where, you know, if he's, I'll demonstrate, if he's bending a note, you know, he'll it, it, put more into it where it's like, um, you know, the idea of, kind of simmering over just that one note and just adding a little bit of expression, you know, slowly releasing the bend back down mm. so it's going in between the, the notes. He does that a lot. He seems to go through a lot more emotional kind of licks, which again, isn't, isn't a very good, good word to use. He has a lot of legato phrases, which mean he doesn't pick every note. He'll do, he'll do a lot of... Um, lines where he's just using the strength of his fingers to mm. kind of power power through whereas phil picks everything well most of the time and um, I'll, I'll do an example of uh something that viv would do live you can hear this lick a lot actually when when he was with Dio, but like on the live version of um paper sun he'd sometimes go into a lick uh, which sounds like this it's something like um <laughs> It's a little bit of something like that where he's he's kind of just he's using the strength of his fingers instead of picking everything it's it's it, it probably doesn't sound too different but he's uh he's got incredible strength in his digits and he uses it very very well it is very i mean you've done it really well it is really difficult to find a language to articulate sonics sometimes and one thing I've thought about the solos is, and the, the words I use to make it make sense to me, as opposed to it would make sense to anyone else. But after you just going on about Phil picking everything and Viv being, what was it, legato? Legato, yeah. It means yeah. smoothly and I think Italian, I don't know, something like that. Well, the things that I've always thought is that Viv's solos sound more fluid while Phil's sound more like angular. And and I know what that means in my head. I think that sort of means the same thing as what you, what you said in terms of... Actually, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about Def Leppard all the time, you've got to try and find some, some words and hopefully some people um, understand it. Right then, okay. I saw an interview... It was actually with a gentleman who's been on a podcast recently, uh, Sakis, who interviewed Viv, very lucky man. And in that interview, Viv said that the stuff that he's done on Diamond Star Halos, he thinks is the best guitar work he's done in his Def Leppard career. Would you agree with that? Personally, no, because after learning some of his solos, like especially on songs from Sparkle Lounge, the solo in Only the Good Die Young, Mm. It's incredible. And it wasn't until maybe I tried to learn it or imitate it that I really appreciated it. Um, I, I've, I've read that, yeah, he feels as though the way they recorded it, he felt less pressure. So it was almost as if the solos he's done on Diamond Star Halos are exactly what he wanted. Whereas maybe before, you know, he's under the clock. It's like, right, I've got to get something done. Oh, that'll do. I, I don't know if maybe that came into play. But I mean... His solo on, on Take What You Want is great. Um, I'm sure there's a couple others I've done. Um, they all kind of come into a blur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> learn them. Um, but it's still, it's very, for me, they're, they're still typically Viv. Um, and, but they don't necessarily sound any better or worse than some of his past stuff. Paper Sun solo is great. Like, as a similar way to Steve, um, the, on the recorded version, there isn't too much flash to it, but it's about the certain note choices he's using where he's leaning on certain notes um, that make it a bit more atmospheric and a bit more melodic. Um, so that's a really good one. Would you say that's one of his highlights? Oh, paper? For sure, yeah. Paper Sun. Some of his stuff on goal. In fact, they've done that a few times where, where um, him and Phil have kind of went back and forth, like on goal, bad actress, and take what you want. Um, 
yeah a lot of his licks man they're just they're they're really hard <laughs> and they're they're really they're just yeah they're 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 great and um i think he maybe doesn't get the, the credit he deserves for for some of his souls so as we inferred earlier on there are people and they'll mostly be non-Def Leppard fans or they might be the type of Def Leppard fan who you know knocked on their head after high and dry who feel that maybe Viv is a little bit wasted or his guitar talents are wasted in Def Leppard you know certainly when you look at what he does with the album what he's done with White Snake and I think I think what they're talking about when they say that is that he doesn't really have the freedom maybe to play long extensive solos or long extended guitar parts do you think he's wasted in Def Leppard as a guitarist do you think he's having to dumb it down or do you think that's just a ridiculous idea it's that's that's a tricky one I it certainly feels as though he's not doing guitar parts that are challenging for him and whether or not he's he's, he's wasted in that in that response I'm not so sure. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with Vivian around about 89 or 90 before he joined Def Leppard, where it seemed as though he was wanting to move away from the heavy metal thing. Mm. He's wanting to get in the more Jimi Hendrix bluesy stuff. So I, I get the impression that Def Leppard were, were probably a good match for him at the time. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all about heavy metal shredding. It was actually nice music and he got to use his vocal abilities. Maybe over the years, of course, with the, the the difference in how they're doing the songwriting now where it's a bit more individual he maybe felt as though he hasn't done his his bit in the same way the other guys do and he maybe hasn't been able to kind of jam um but it's great that he's now got an output and last in line and he's went mm. back to that but certainly he's he's had some really great solos on on the records they're just not the ones that get played live unfortunately because definitely would have too many hit songs and most of them came before he was in the band. Yeah, they did. And then maybe just like one overarching question, I suppose, is we've talked about the four of them individually. What you you can get by having the four individuals is you get three different pairs. So you get Pete, Steve, you get Steve, Phil, and then you get Phil, Viv. Mm-hmm. How different are those three pairings? Or at the end of the day, did they all ultimately fall under what we call Def Leppard and there's not a massive amount of difference. To an extent, yeah, they all they all create the, the Def Leppard we we know and love. Um, certainly, the high and dry era with with uh, Pete and Steve creating hard rock, interesting guitar parts with singable songs, interesting riffs for sure. Um, a lot more kind of tricky stuff, and of course they had the maybe the prog elements on the first album where they were mm. going. Went a bit out there, um, so that's quite different to when it became Steve and Phil, and I think they really hit on what I regard as like the Def Leppard sound of yeah. the simplistic stuff with the nice counter melodies and everything being orchestrated. Where a lot of dynamics, I would say, in the in the Steve and Phil era, you know, like the, the quiet stuff, like like the kind of riff underneath the solo in in Love Bites, you know the. That's a really cool sounding riff. Mm. Oh, God. And that just fits in underneath. It's just being there. And you've got Steve Soul over the top. Amazing. And um, there's less of that as you go into the, the Phil and Viv era. But in a way, there's a lot more kind of heavy power chord stuff going on, which is quite surprising. I was, I was doing a bit of research watching some old videos and thinking about bloody hell, you know, some of the riffs on Slime, like, um, I think it's Gift of Flesh where it's, you know, a lot of great power chord riffs, the ones mm. that I was making fun of earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> Even um, like the, the, the bridge in Paper Sun, you know, <laughs> that type of idea, the, the bridge or the little bit in uh, Day After Day, you know. <laughs> That's really heavy. I absolutely love that bit. Oh, <laughs> that, that bit you just played. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. You know, what's funny is that on X is probably where some of the, the Steve sounding kind of chords were on a song like Scar. Um, I think it's Scar. Yeah, when it's like... Uh, <laughs> 
you know that that's that's very Steve sounding to me. Um, it's funny how that comes on on X. Yeah, not as guitar heavy. Although I think the songs were there, they just maybe the guitars weren't up loud enough. So so for me, they all they all kind of sound like Def Leppard, but they have maybe little differences here here and there. Cool. So we've got one final question for you in terms of talking about. Death Leopard and, guitar- and guitarist. So if you were stuck on a desert island with your guitar, but you could only play three Death Leopard songs, let's just pretend that when you fell overboard, you whacked your head, all of your musical ability and talent went out, you know, you forgot your family wearing everything, but somehow you could just remember how to play three Death Leopard songs from beginning to end, the solos, the riffs and everything. And you're going to be on that guitar, you're going to be on that desert island for for months, years, and you're only going to be able to occupy yourself by playing free Def Leppard songs. So in a way, I'm talking about what you like and also what you like to play. What free Def Leppard songs would you choose? Neil, man, it seems like every podcast you come up with these questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> these are unbelievable. Um, God, that's, that's tricky. I, I'd say there's, all of them are incredibly fun to play, and I... I was never really as big a fan of maybe slang, um, which is funny because I loved the slang podcast and it's um, and learning the songs as well has really made me appreciate the album more. Um, a lot of that's really fun to play. A lot of the, the Vivier stuff's really fun to play. For me, it, <laughs> the In the Round concert is what I is what I regard as Def Leppard. So mm. it would be the live version of Too Late for Love. The live version of Photograph. And this is really hard because I love Armageddon. It. I love Animal. I just have to... In fact, you know what? Take what you want. That riff is incredible. Stick that in there, actually. Because that... When I first heard that riff, man, bloody hell. Ben, what does that riff go like? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, what's cool about this actually is this might we're talking about tunings earlier this might have been recorded in drop d which isn't something that they do a lot but something like this <laughs> cool. yeah and it was sav who came up with that riff as well wasn't it sav i mean we talked about joe earlier with the guitar part sav has seems to have come up with some incredible stuff i think he yeah. he was the only other songwriting credit on like another hit and run yeah joe and maybe mutt lang and some of the chords in that are, are the, the maybe the typical steve stuff you know i'm talking about like the interest yeah. type of chord voicings they're, they're in there and also on stage fright as well which i think was was a sad idea so yeah he's man you could focus on an episode on him as well oh so, yeah definitely Queen sound and stuff too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about four guitarists in a way. We've we, we've touched on six by adding Joe and Savin there as well. So I'm going to call this uh, this episode these guitars. By the way, I'm very proud of that. And that's obviously a plural. And now that's that's gone to four to six. It's an even better title. So I'm very happy with that. Right, really? Ben. Where can people find you, whether that be on your YouTube channel, whether that be on social media? Because I know you're doing shorter clips on Instagram. Let everyone know where they can find you. Okay, yes. So my YouTube channel, like Neil kindly said at the start, is BWM5150. So that's Bravo Whiskey Mike 5150. Comes from the 5150 album from Van Halen, back in the day where usernames were kind of like that. And I've just never bothered to change it. (laughs) So I'm on YouTube, of course. I'm on Instagram, which is linked from YouTube, but I think it's YTBWM5150. I think someone had just BWM5150. That's fine. Um, I have a Patreon as well where I've uh, been putting like tuition content up because a lot of people have been asking me for that over the years. So um, you can find me under BWM5150 on that. And if people are looking for a way to email me about stuff, I have an email address, bwm guitarlessons at gmail.com and I, I answer a lot of stuff on there so that those those are the main the main pages um but yeah i'm, I'm always kind of around somewhere so and that just leads me to say thank you very very much for coming on today 
Neil, thank you. It's an honor. And I've got to say, the Deaf Library community is amazing. There's been so many kind people out there um, who've commented and shared my stuff. And honestly, I just I really appreciate um, being on here. And yeah, love it. Thank you.